Hey, how's it going? This is Evan Jackson, video production director of New Life Church. Thank you so much for joining us for our podcast today. It's our goal to help you grow in your faith and discover all that God has for you. I hope you're encouraged, challenged, and inspired today. Enjoy the message. I just want to thank Pastor Dave for giving me this opportunity um, to present to you God's Word. Now, I take this very seriously because it's such an honor to, to be chosen by God, even in a small way, to do to do his will. And um, so we're in the middle of a series called Summer on the Mount. And we're spending about, I don't know, eight to ten weeks on going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to be about halfway through it when I'm done today. And when Pastor Dave first asked me to, to fill in for him, I was like, yeah, sure. That's great. I'm honored to do it. And he told me, you know, we're doing, you're going to be Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18. Got it? So I started digging in. And then I kind of got mad at him because um, as I started to prepare this message, I realized I was like, wait a second. I should be there listening to the message because when I started to read it, it was like, it was so convicting. So I hope that it might be a little difficult to hear at times, but I, I mean it. I think this is a message for everyone. And I'm just excited to share it with you. So, the big idea of today's message is this. While preaching the greatest sermon of all time, Jesus calls us to abandon a works-based faith and join him in pursuit of authentic Christianity. So today's main passage is Matthew chapter 6. We're starting in verse 1. So if you want to get, get there in your Bibles... Um, We're going to read it in its entirety, and then we're going to kind of work our way back through it. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, because they love to pray standing in the synagogue and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. When you pray, go into your private room, Shut your door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you do not forgive, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. For they make their faces unattractive 
so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So in the most basic terms, that passage we just read is about three things. It's about giving, it's about praying, and it's about fasting. And what do giving, praying, and fasting all have in common? It's kind of a yucky word in the church these days. Tradition. And if you look around at most of the world's religions, all of them have these traditions. And in fact, they also use those three traditions. Praying, fasting, and giving isn't uncommon in any world religion. So I come from a Catholic background. And let me tell you something. Catholics love themselves some tradition. You have the liturgy, the stations of the cross, that old organ, sit, stand, kneel, the whole thing. And there's a part of me that misses that. Because I think traditions can be useful. Because what traditions do, how they operate is, have you ever heard that expression, fake it till you make it? So sometimes you don't want to come to church. You're just not in that state of mind. You wake up and you don't want to do it. But when you participate in these traditions, sometimes they can change your state of mind and get you focused back on God. So they have a usefulness to them. Sometimes we don't want to be at church. We don't feel worthy to be at church. But these traditions can be a tool to use to bring us to worship. Does that make sense? Okay. So that also works in your everyday life too, right? So I'm a huge college football fan. It's my favorite sport. It's my favorite thing to do. And um, the game is the main thing. That's what you, you watch. But then you go to the game, and there's cheerleaders. There's the marching band playing the fight song, all these other things. People are tailgating. So if you don't feel like being a part of the game, good luck after all of that. And so this is how tradition works. At a wedding, you get invited to a wedding, you go, and the main thing is the wedding. It's the ceremony between a man and a woman joining together. And you might not want to go to that either. I don't usually do. They're kind of boring. But then you go, right? And then everybody is dressed up. And they say, here comes the bride. And everybody applauds. You eat a nice dinner. And so these traditions that surround events are ways for us to get involved. And the church is the same way. So we have these church traditions and that's where it kind of seemed like a religion. But the Protestant church has done this thing where they kind of like have distanced themselves from these traditions. They're like, it's too Catholic for us. And I think that's kind of a bummer because Jesus tells us that these traditions are good things. He says, when you do it, he doesn't say don't do it. He just says, do it a certain way. Giving, praying, and fasting are all good things. When we listen to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is very obvious that his observation for us is that these people are doing it the wrong way. He even levies the claim of being a hypocrite. No one wants to be called a hypocrite. So we'll take a closer look at some of the teachings and practices from the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 6, 1 through 4 says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. 
So whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. Truly I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. So Jesus uses a word here in this passage that if you're reading your Bible from cover to cover, you've only seen it one time. And that word is hypocrite. And I thought for sure like the Bible was like loaded with that term, like hypocrite. Like we're all hypocrites. That's why we need Jesus, right? But it's, that's not really so. In the Old Testament, that word is only used one time. Psalm 26 says, I do not sit with the worthless or associate with the hypocrites. I hate a crowd of evildoers, and I do not sit with the wicked. So our previous connection to that word hypocrite is not flattering at all. Wicked people, evil people, worthless people. So we don't want to be called a hypocrite. But the psalm doesn't really give us a sense of like what a hypocrite is, right? And so what is a hypocrite? If you uh, open your dictionary, it might say, a person who acts in contradiction to his stated beliefs or feelings. Hypocrite. And that's, that's a solid definition, right? That's what we all know to be a hypocrite. But in the Greek language, that word has a range of meaning, and it can also be translated to mean actor, stage player, pretender. So to some degree, the word hypocrite and the word actor are interchangeable. And when you read the Sermon on the Mount with that in mind, it kind of gives it a different appeal. So it might say something like this. Whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you as the actors do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. Actors do what they do for applause. They act. The crowd leaps to their feet in applause. They take a bow. So what Jesus is calling our attention to is that our giving practices should not be like that. They shouldn't be a whole production, an organized public activity performed for the gaze of other people. This is a heavy criticism that is being laid against the religious people because giving is good. God loves a cheerful giver. Charity and giving are good things. God loves when you give. 2 Corinthians says, each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is an act of the heart, and it doesn't get any more private than one's own heart. In Corinthians, giving is also compared to sowing a seed in the ground, something that happens underground, in private, in secret. And that's for a reason. And I believe that that reason is for our protection. Because when we give to be seen, when we give to be applauded, we're really just giving for pride. And almost every sin you can imagine has its roots in lies, pride, or shame. So when our charity gets done on a stage for the world to see, when charity is performed, we get applauded for it. We hear the applause, we take a bow, we sign our autographs, we get a pat on the back, we swell with pride, and then the devil smiles. Giving is a good thing, and if it's done correctly, 
in private for the right reasons with the heart of God, it will make you feel closer to God. I guarantee it. But it can't become a spectacle. Because when it becomes a spectacle, that is where it is ripe for corruption. Okay? That's how churches can shake you down for money. Charities can shake you down for money. Because it's just a show. You see those televangelists on TV, like, call this 1-800 number. We got happy dollars. They got the thermometer thing going up. That's prideful giving. Jesus calls us to give in private because giving properly done is a response to God. It's not the other way around. Giving isn't something you do. If I give, if I give, if I give, it's a ladder to God. I'll feel closer to him. It's a response. And that's how we should approach it. So he calls us to give. Jesus says you should give. But he does not call us to perform while we do it. Jesus is preaching about how in the world we give for applause. But in the kingdom of God, we give because we have already received. So Jesus continues on. And now he begins to teach the people about prayer. And prayer is a mysterious thing. It's so mysterious that like, even Jesus' closest disciples are like, what is it? How do we do it? Why do we do it? When do we do it? And here's what's true about prayer. I feel like sometimes we've boiled prayer down to like a math problem. It's like X plus Y equals Z. So you say, here's what I want, need, or feel. X plus Y in Jesus' name equals Z. And that if that Z does not happen, God does not love me, hear me, want me, all of that. And that's not true. Prayer is a mysterious thing. And it's also not like a genie lamp. Like, you got the lamp, and you rub the lamp, and then you pray, and then God comes out and says, what are your three wishes? And then you get, you get exactly what you asked for. Now, we know God answers prayers, but it's a mysterious thing. So I don't want to make you any guarantees that, like, the, the preacher's going to come up here, he's going to tell you exactly how it works. I do know that if you reduce prayer to where God does exactly what you ask, how you ask it, why you ask it, you're reducing God to a very small God. That's not the God I know. That's not the God I serve. God is a universe-creating, mountain-melting, salvation-bringing, raising dead to life. That's the God who I know. And that God doesn't, he's not in the, in the genie lamp. So prayer is a mysterious thing. It's a necessary thing. But there's one thing I do know about prayer. If you do it, you will feel closer to God, even if it's just a little bit. That's a guarantee. So Jesus begins to teach the people about prayer. Verses 5 through 8. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the actors, because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your father knows the things you need before you ask. So this section of Jesus' teaching is focusing on, on this public performative habit people had of praying out loud and praying just out loud for a long period of time, almost to the point of babbling. Jesus continues to compare the religious people of his day to 
actors because acting, the very act of acting, is just a performative public thing. So our prayer lives shouldn't seek to emulate a performance. We're not putting on a show. Prayer should be private, personal communication with God, and it does not need to be sensational in any way. Later on in the Sermon on the Mount, God will tell us, if you ask for a stone, God won't give you bread. If you ask your father for a uh, a fish, he won't give you a snake. So just because God doesn't answer our prayers the way we think he should, it's not a vindictive nature of God. It's just there is something mysterious about it, but please pray. God wants you to pray. Prayer is so much bigger than we could possibly imagine. And I've often wondered if my prayers aren't big enough. Like, I don't mean long enough or the volume of prayer, but I mean big enough that like something prayed in faith with expectation that God can move a mountain for me. Big prayers. I want to encourage you to take the lid off of your prayers and just get back to basics. It's not a sensational thing. Jesus then says, just so you know I'm not a hypocrite, I'll give you an example of a prayer. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, therefore you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father is probably the most famous prayer in the world. I'm sure many of you know it by heart. Uh, you know, I grew up Catholic. We would recite it at every single Mass. And there's other Christian traditions that do it too. And I would dare to say that the Our Father is a perfect prayer. When the men of our church gather to have our prayer meetings across the way, uh, Jonathan Jacks, he leads us in the Our Father. We all stand up together and we recite it. And then we sit down and then we pray in private with the door shut and we dig into prayer. And what we do is we use that as this unifying tradition, this perfect prayer. But I'll tell you what it's not. It's not a script. Actors use a script and they just memorize this thing for the approval of other people. So that's not what it is. The Our Father is a framework for your prayers. And so Jesus teaches us that there's parts of this prayer that we should be inserting into our prayer life. It says, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. That is submission to God's sovereignty. You are God, I am not. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God's sovereignty. God's holiness. Your Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Thankfulness for God's grace. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So if your prayers revolve around God's holiness, God's sovereignty, God's grace, you will not be praying like a hypocrite. If you pray like Jesus, I really believe you will be closer to God than you have ever been. And when we keep that framework in mind, it keeps us from babbling on like a Gentile, just checking a box. I encourage you, use the Lord's Prayer. 
any prayer that is good enough for Jesus is good enough for you. But be careful, because when it becomes a script, that's when you become a hypocrite. A hypocrite is someone who just performs his prayer, who just sticks to the script. The Sermon on the Mount is here to confront this religious exuberance, this religious fervor that these people participated in. It's supposed to realign our hearts to God's hearts. And the last part of the Sermon on the Mount that we're dealing with today talks about fasting. And I don't know about you, fasting is probably my least favorite of all the religious activities. I would rather give than fast. I would rather give you all of my money than give you any of my food. It's true. Have you tried to fast for more than a morning? It's very difficult. Okay, so Jesus says, when you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. They disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. So what does this mean? N.T. Wright uh, comments on this passage like this. I can't say it any better than this. The current practice of Jesus' day seems to have been to advertise one's fasting by letting your hair and beard go tangled and then smearing ashes upon your face. That's just play acting, Jesus declares. It's putting on a mask. Real fasting is between you and God, not something you do to show off. So do what you normally do to your head and face. Wash, comb, sort yourself out. In his culture, that included anointing with oil, and that's what this passage literally means. The important point here and all through is this question. Is your eye focused on God or on someone or something else? What is your priority? So the real question of our passage today, Matthew 6, 1 through 18, is, is your eye fixed on God or something else? What exactly is your priority? N.T. Wright points out that the tangling of one's hair or the smearing of ashes on one's face is like putting a mask on. It's like putting on stage makeup. The super-religious were making sure that their worship was a performative art to be seen by others. They were worshiping their own pride, their own sense of religious purity. They had the wrong priorities. So what Jesus is calling us to do is check our priorities. How we participate in these traditions is how we are downstream from God. God is holy. God is sovereign. God is gracious. So in response to that, that's why we pray. That's why we fast. That's why we give. So Jesus is asking us a very simple question this morning. Are you a hypocrite? Am I a hypocrite? And because hypocrite and actor are interchangeable, I'll ask you it this way. Are you an actor? Am I an actor? I'd like to show you a picture here. I'm sure you have all seen a symbol like this before. 
And so it's the happy face and it's the sad face. And this symbol has become synonymous with the dramatic arts, with the drama, and whatever else people do, sing, dance, act, okay? And what this comes from is the Greek culture that Jesus was born into. Greek actors would actually wear these masks that kind of looked like this. And they were probably made out of leather or linen, but they didn't have costumes and makeup and special effects, any of that. The mask told the audience what character they were playing. The hypocrites wore masks. The actors wore masks. So what Jesus is cautioning us to do is take off our masks. He doesn't want us to be hypocrites. He wants us to stop acting religious and just take off our mask. So I'm going to jump ahead a chapter for a second. Spoiler alert. So later on in the Sermon on the Mount, we get to what I think is the most terrifying verse in all of Scripture. Matthew 7, through 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we pray in your name? Didn't we fast in your name? Didn't we give in your name? But how could Jesus not know you? How could he not recognize you? You checked all the boxes. It's because you were wearing a mask. And when someone wears a mask, you can't see their face. Jesus is calling us to abandon religion that requires us to do all the things. Check all the boxes. He wants a faith for us like this. We take off our mask and know our Lord and Savior face to face. Jesus loves you. He wants to save you. There is no amount of praying, fasting, or giving that can make him pursue you or love you any more than he already does. No religion in the world can save you. Only Christ can save you. No mask in the world can cover your sin. No mask in the world can make you holy. Only Jesus can do that. And he wants to see you eye to eye, face to face. The Sermon on the Mount is calling us back to a religion that is simple, that is pure, that is honest. Jesus wants a relationship with you. But all that really requires is to just take off your mask. And this is where the sermon is supposed to end. The preacher gives you some Monday morning advice. I give you the pep talk. We close in prayer, we go home. But this is something that I struggled with that God really put on my heart. So what does this look like? I could give you advice. I could give you the steps to do. But I'm going to give you an example right from the Bible. Because no one really cares what I think anyway. You should care what God says. In Luke's gospel, we read about how Jesus was crucified between two thieves. One on the left, one on the right. And these men, all three of them, are going to die. Okay, 
And what's so wild about this is the two thieves kind of start bickering. Like, would that, is that how you would want to spend your last moments, like arguing with this guy over here? It's crazy. But then, one of the thieves, if you think about this, it, just, it blows my mind. He says to the other thief, do you know this is God? The thief, he didn't pray. He didn't give. He didn't fast. He didn't do any of that stuff. He didn't have religion. But you know what he had? One genuine, honest moment with Jesus Christ. He didn't say the sinner's prayer. He didn't go to small group. He didn't put in the box in the back. He's not a Christian the way we would consider him. We even want him here. But then something amazing happens. The thief says, I quote, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He took off his mask. He said, Lord, here I am in the state I'm in now. And what did Jesus say? Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The thief on the cross had his whole eternity changed by one honest, authentic moment with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's true for you this morning. And I don't want you to hear me saying that I don't think you should pray, fast, give, all the other stuff. You should, absolutely. But when Jesus is speaking to us from the Sermon on the Mount, think about it. He is just calling us back to say, here I am. And if you take off your mask, Jesus will say to you, someday you'll be in paradise with me too. So we need to preach this self to ourselves every day. Every day. The thief on the cross, he is in eternity with Jesus because Jesus said so. He said you could come. And the only way to have that conversation with Jesus this week and the rest of the weeks of your life is to take off your mask and look to your Lord and your Savior. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your church. God, we thank you for a country that allows us to come here and worship you. Lord, help us to shed away all the hypocritical aspects of our religion and just get back to basics. Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters, as they mingle in the lobby and they leave, they will feel your Holy Spirit filling them up. And Lord, help me, help us see you this week, eye to eye and face to face. In Jesus' holy name, amen. Thank you all for coming very much. Thank you.